Additional support for Heat Treat Radio is provided by the Industrial Heating Equipment Association, providers of high-level thermal processing training and executive-level networking. IEA is on the web at www.iea.org. That's I-H-E-A dot org. Are you a hard case or a case hardener? If you're a case hardener, you might be interested in today's episode. If you're a hard case, well, there are other self-help podcasts you might want to consider. On today's episode, we're going to talk about nitriding, and we're going to talk with one of the most qualified individuals in the North American heat treat marketplace. This guy has nitriding and heat treating running in his blood. My father was involved with a furnace manufacturer in Toledo, Ohio, and he actually brought ion nitriding to the United States uh, from uh, uh, Kluckner in Germany. Uh, I think at last count, we think he has 65 patents uh, under his name. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm your Heat Treat Radio host and Heat Treat Today publisher, Doug Glenn. Today on Heat Treat Radio, we're talking nitriding with... This is Mark Hemsath, and I'm with Seco Vacuum Technologies, which is a Seco Warwick Group company, and I am the director of nitriding and special vacuum furnaces, and uh, I am involved with everything to do with nitriding, fluidic nitrocarburizing, and also other surface engineering, uh, such as carburizing. If you have an interest in surface hardening, such as nitriding, fritic nitrocarburizing, or carburizing, you might want to take a quick cyber trip to www.heattreattoday.com, where we have a substantial and growing list of resources that might be helpful to you. Heat Treat Today is one of the industry's leading information sources for all things heat treat related. Every Tuesday, we post a new technical article. We call it Technical Tuesday. And Heat Treat Today is the only North American-based heat treating publication offering a comprehensive list of heat treat consultants. So if you're a manufacturer with in-house heat treating, especially in aerospace, automotive, medical, or energy, or even general manufacturing, and you've lost a good bit of your organizational heat treating brains, take a look under resources on Heat Treat Today's website or simply Google heat treating consultants, and you'll find a comprehensive list of heat treat industry consultants that can help you solve your pressing heat treating problems. Look us up on the web at www.heattreattoday.com. Now, let's get back to Mark Hemsath and our discussion on nitriding. Mark, we've been trying to connect for quite a while. I'm really glad we finally were able to connect. Well, this is a perfectly opportune time to do this because I just finished my paper for the ASM Heat Treat Show, and I sent it last night at 11 o'clock over to Dan Herring, and I have not heard from him. So it's all fresh in my mind. Ah, interesting. What, what's the paper? My paper is Nitriding, Its Growth, and the Technologies that Have Cemented Its Broad Use in Surface Engineering that will be presented at the ASM Heat Treat Show in October. Hey, podcast listeners, the Heat Treat Show Mark is referring to is being held on October 15th through 17th in Detroit. You can find out more about that show by Googling 2019 Heat Treat Show Detroit or by going to www.asminternational.org. 
and searching for it there. Now back to Mark. All right, Mark, let's jump into the nitriding market. What are you seeing? I've been hearing more and more about nitriding. How about you? Well, I think the main thing is that nitriding is growing. It's still growing rapidly. Uh, it has grown in the past number of years, and uh, that's uh, one of the reasons uh, I just wrote a paper, which is very opportune, uh, discussing uh, why it's growing and why uh, it, it's gone up in, in the use in the market there. But there's a number of uh, points that I probably uh, should point out as to why nitriding is growing. I think more and more people are discovering uh, the positive effects of nitriding. Uh, this would include the very high surface hardness that you can get, uh, the higher temperature hardness. In other words, it resists tempering, uh, a carburized type uh, surface or a uh, induction hardened surface. If it's used at temperatures above the tempering temperature, uh, it would start to reduce its hardness. Whereas nitriding is done at a higher temperature, so any you know above. Uh, not, it's done in above 900 or 1,000 degrees or so Fahrenheit. So you would uh, resist the, uh, uh, the the decrease in hardness up to those temperatures, which is pretty nice. Uh, also, it, it 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 gives you the ability to have a high fatigue strength. Uh, the nitrided layer actually will change the fatigue properties of the metal part. Uh, another thing that everybody usually talks about is the improved corrosion resistance, and that's something very uh, unique to nitriding. So uh, it's used a lot, especially fluidic nitrocarburizing, for corrosion resistance. And the final thing that I wanted to talk about is the minimal process distortion. And if you compare this uh, to carburizing, where you're quenching the part, uh, there's a chance for because you're coming from the austenitic region going into the uh, quench bath and it's cooling very rapidly, uh, there's a chance for your part to distort, which means you may have to follow on process it to get it back into dimensions. So, so nitriding's got a lot of benefits to it. Interesting, Mark. Seems like some pretty compelling reasons to nitride, but one of the objections I hear is that nitriding is a more expensive process. Your thoughts? Well, it's not really as expensive as you think because you have to take into account that in, in let's say carburizing, for instance, or just through hardening, you got to quench it, you got to wash it, you got to temper it. And if anything goes wrong in that process, you've got to do some sort of follow on processing that you probably won't need to do any of that after you nitride it. Now, you will need to change probably some of the uh, the material and the alloying properties. We can get into that later. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But perhaps a little clarification is in order. We're talking about nitriding, but we often hear the phrase ferritic nitrocarburizing. Can you help us understand the difference? Yeah, I mean, it is a nitriding process, uh, but it's typically done with uh, lower carbon materials, and that's why they put a carbon in there, too, and that's the uh, where they get the nitrocarburizing uh, into the process. It's typically done at a little bit higher temperature uh, because you're not as much worried about the, uh, the through-hardness property or the tempering properties. What you're trying to do typically is take a less expensive uh, material, whether it's a cast cast iron or uh, inexpensive uh, steel, and you're trying to get a nice uh, white layer on there, a combination, a white layer, with, or commonly known as a compound zone, is a combination of epsilon and gamma prime, and you can create different layers, and the uh, the, the carbon is going to help you with that 
create it faster, create it a little bit harder. And what that's going to do for you on that part is give you lubricity uh, because of the, the nature of the, of the white layer, the compound zone. It, it has a, lub, uh, a, a lubrous uh, nature to it, uh, give you that corrosion resistance that we talked about before, and gives you that wear resistance that uh, everybody wants in, in most parts. So where is nitriding and FNC being used today? Well, you know, today nitriding, uh, thankfully, is being used everywhere. Uh, I think, as I mentioned uh, uh, before, it's actually being used where chrome used to be used, uh, such as uh, rods uh, for hydraulic systems, and uh, that's a black, uh, that's a, a post-oxidized FNC. They come out black, and it's a very nice replacement for chrome. Uh, in the automotive industry, FNC, fluidic nitrocarburizing, is very popular because they, they use cheaper materials, uh, and it prevents not only wear and, and uh, you know denting and that sort of thing, but it also offers corrosion resistance for a lot of the parts, which is nice on cars. Uh, this is actually how FNC, fluidic nitrocarburizing, got involved with the brake rotors. Uh, on, on brake rotors for cars, they used to paint them. The problem was, as soon as you stepped on the brake pedal, as soon as the, um, uh, the as soon as they got to the lot and people moved them from the truck onto the lot and they'd hit the brakes, it would wear the paint off and then it would start rusting. And, and people would complain, "Hey, you got rust on the brakes, and I'm just going to buy this car." So they found out that they fluidic nitrocarburized them. They weren't getting that kind of uh, 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 rust on their on their brake rotors, so that was helpful. And and it also provides incredible wear resistance uh, against your against your uh, brake pads. Uh, and so nitride is also used in gears. I mentioned that uh, because you have minimal or no post-grinding. Aerospace, it's used all over. Uh, they like the wear properties and corrosion because a lot of parts stay in planes for years and years and years. Uh, so you don't want want the corrosion. Uh, oil and gas industry. This is something that I learned recently in the last few years. Uh, you know, oil and gas. They're pumping a lot of stuff. They're doing fracking. They're 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 pumping water and brine down there. They have a lot of uh, slurries that are uh, that that cause a lot of wears in pumps and pipes and everything else. Yeah, and, very caustic. Yes, and caustic. And nitriding works very well uh, to extend the life of those parts. Uh, and then uh, a lot of large parts, uh, uh, they actually, uh, plasma nitride, a lot of your stamping dies out there, uh, again, because uh, it, it gives you dent resistance and it's going to give you more life on that die. It's just going to, you know, because you're, you're stamping metals uh, or you're, you're hot stamping forgings, et cetera. Uh, there's a lot of reasons um, uh, to use nitriding. So it's used, it's used everywhere. Are you hearing of companies converting some of their carburizing processes to nitriding or FNC? There's there's a lot of uh, effort in that area. I think it's it's uh, kind of a lot of the engineers don't know about it. I spent quite the last couple of years talking to different people about that. They're starting to become more aware of it. Uh, of course, a lot of a lot of materials, a lot of components out there are already pre-engineered. And they're, you know, it's already uh, done saying, hey, we got to through harden it, we got to decarburize it. So it takes a, a good engineering group to understand the differences. And that's part of the education process. That's why I'm happy to do this uh, talk here today uh, to, to try to get people 
more up to speed to, for the engineers, the, the component people out there to say, yeah, I could do this with nitriding and to understand what can be done. But yeah, you can do this in gears, for instance. Uh, you can, uh, uh, and we've done it uh, many times, and a lot of people are starting to specify it. You could do FNC of gears. Uh, you can do nitriding of gears too. So it can be done, understood. But are you hearing of any examples of where it is actually being done? Well, I think it's being done more and more like in uh, in, in motor uh, transmissions. And we're, I think I got word of the fact that one automaker with a 10-speed transmission uh, was going to have, I think, three or four of the gears uh, sets uh, be uh, Furtick nitrocarburized uh, versus, versus carburized. Uh, now, in, in another instance, uh, an offshoot of carburizing is carbonitriding. Uh, carbonitriding is, is the same thing as uh, basically as carburizing, except that it's usually a shallower case, and they use a little ammonia in there to get a little bit harder uh, surface. Uh, but you're going to get distortion on that. So a lot of people, uh, there's a number of parts that you can change the chemistry of the steel. So you're paying more for the steel and you can ferritic nitrocarburize it and get the similar properties uh, uh, that you're looking for, uh, for that wear component. So you're paying more for the base steel, but you're paying less for the post-processing of it. Well, potentially, because if you don't need to rework it because of the distortion, a lot of parts are hard to quench and, and not get them to move, especially small parts or uh, flat parts, washers or something like that. You know, there, there's a lot of different ways people do it. If you think about, um, let's say we, we also at Seco Warwick make rotary retort furnaces, and you could do washers in there, but when, when that washer goes into the quench, it's going to enter at different angles. Uh, but nobody wants to take washers and individually line them up so that the uh, the edge goes into a quench, right? Uh, it's just too expensive to do that. So you're going to put up with a certain amount of uh, distortion uh, on that material that you're quenching and then have to figure out how to deal with it afterwards. Uh, with uh, furtic nitrocarburizing, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Because there's no quench? Because there's no quench and there's no distortion. Carburizing and carbonitriding both have quenches, whereas nitriding and FNC do not require a quench. Correct. Nitriding and FNC are all done below typically 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit, and there is no quenching. It's always a slow cool. And therefore, we're avoiding distortion. You're not putting it into a, into a liquid, whether it's a, a hot oil or, or what have you. You're not putting it into a liquid, liquid to cause that uh, rapid uh, cooling, right? And it's a slow cool for nitriding and FNC. Yeah, I mean, you, you. yes, you will. I mean, nitriding will give you some growth. Uh, we typically predict about, let's say, a white layer, which can be all the way up to 25 microns. Typically, you're usually running in 10 to 25 micron range. Uh, about 60% of that will result in growth, but it's very predictable. So the engineer, if they're worried about the size, they can, they can put that into their stack up uh, in how they machine it initially. Uh, you'll get a very yeah you'll get a very small growth of the material from nitriding. It's in the I think it's in the ten thousands range, uh, absent the absent the white layer. When we come back to Mark Hemsath, we'll talk about the different methods of nitriding as well as who some of the major players are in the industry, both service providers and equipment manufacturers. 
but we need to take a moment and thank those who support Heat Treat Radio. Specifically, thanks goes to the Industrial Heating Equipment Association, IEA for short. These guys are celebrating 90 years in the industry this year. They started back in 1929 and have been helping advance the industry all this time. One of their great services they provide is training. If you've not taken advantage of IEA's world-class training classes, you should. They both they have both virtual and on-site classes, but the ones I want to draw your attention to today are the on-site classes, the ones being held in Cleveland, Ohio later this year. They have two two-day seminars and one one-day seminar. The two-day seminars are safety standards and, and codes, and their ever-famous combustion seminar, complete with tabletop exhibit and reception hour, or maybe two hours worth of reception. And their one-day seminar focuses on process heating. All three of these seminars are taking place on September 24, 25, and 26. Go to www.iea.org for more information or to register. That's IHEA.org. If you haven't yet taken advantage of these courses, now is the time. So, Mark, when I think of nitriding, I think of several approaches such as gas or plasma nitriding. Would you explain the differences? Well, there's actually, uh, in my mind, there's actually four major different types of nitriding. There's gas nitriding, which is an area that I play in very heavily. There's plasma nitriding, also known as ion nitriding. There's liquid or salt bath uh, nitriding, and there's even nitriding done with fluidized beds. Uh, so let's go. Let's go through them real quick. Uh, I'm not going to talk much about liquid that's done in salts. It's it's a very old process. It's not a bad process. Uh, the problem that I've always found is that really people don't want to own this equipment um, because of all the hazards with salts and the disposal and everything else. But it's not a bad process. It's if you're willing to. It's like everything else. If you're willing to own it and run it, let's say you're a commercial heat treater, uh, you can do some great things with it. Fluidized bed is, is an older technology. It's a little different. Uh, you've basically got uh, uh, particles that are being fluidized, which are, allow heat transfer. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of art to running it and using it, but it's it's certainly a very uh, a, a process that can have very good results. Uh, a long time ago, uh, we I used to be involved with the company, and we helped them create a new fluidized bed technology. So uh, it, it's it's still being used. It just never really has taken hold in this country that well. There are some old systems out there. And the last one, I oh, well, there's two of them. There's uh, plasma uh, ion nitriding, and I actually started out my uh, my career in, in in ion and plasma. And uh, when I was in college a long time ago, I'll say the early 1980s, uh, I translated German to English from the German technology, which was created by Kluckner, and uh, came to the U.S., and I was helping the engineers to translate what they were talking about. Um, so uh, my paper uh, uh, that, I'm, that I was just in the process of writing talks about some of this. And, um, you know, I, I plan on uh, uh, doing a webinar here in the near future, probably within a couple of months, and talking more about this. Uh, there are some really nice uh, benefits uh, to plasma, and this is well documented in the literature. But the ones that I point out that, that are uh, 
different than some of the other processes is you you have what they call sputtering. Uh, the effect of the plasma actually can help clean up the surface of the material. So if you have some oxides on there, which is very beneficial, let's say if you're doing uh, some type of stainless, which can have uh, some problems. Um, Another thing that plasma is very good at is masking. Uh, a lot of times there are parts that have a lot of threaded holes or areas where they don't want nitriding. They might weld on it. Uh, it's very easy to mask with uh, plasma nitriding because you can just mechanically mask it. What that means is if you have threads, you could just uh, put a little bolt in there and they won't get nitrided. If you have a, surf if you have a surface, uh, uh, let's say a piece of pipe, you can just take some shim stop shim stock of metal, wrap it around there. You won't get any nitriding where that metal is. Uh, it'll nitride the metal piece that you put on there, but it won't nitride what's below there. So excellent for um, masking. Uh, the other thing with ion nitriding, why it was popular, it's still popular, but gas nitriding has overcome some of the negatives uh, that it had in the past. But uh, ion nitriding is what's known as a low potential uh, process. So by nature, uh, it, it's, it has a low nitriding potential. What that means is it's difficult to get thick uh, compound zones or white layers because the potential is fairly low. And so this is people that wanted to nitride parts um, would use ion nitriding if they didn't want the, uh, the white layer to come with it. Uh, at the same time, FNC is harder in the plasma uh, post-oxidation is a little more difficult. Uh, it's just equipment is not really, in my mind, uh, designed to do those processes. So uh, the other thing is, is that the parts need to be individually placed and very nicely placed within the furnace proper. So there's more setup work involved. But uh, in general, it does, it does a wonderful job. You know, one thing I say in my paper is, uh, once you own the equipment and you have some loads that you're doing, you can get very repeatable results if you do the same thing every time. The last one is gas, and I obviously, I, I love gas, right? Gas nitriding. Um, we actually have a process called zero flow, but it's it's just ammonia, uh, like any other process. It's, uh, it's a control method. Um, but... Uh, what what's really happening with the gas nitriding today is that the controls, the advance of controls has allowed you to do a lot more with nitriding to get you similar properties to what you can get in ion. In in my paper that I'm doing for the heat treat show, which I'll also do a little webinar on later in the year, um, plasma has come a long way too because the controls took forever to catch up with the technology and they had a lot of issues with it. I discussed this uh, in my paper, uh, gas nitriding has seen the same type of issues. Uh, you know, the controls, you know, if, if you remember, uh, I, 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 I think we might be close to the same age, but when I was, when I was in college, the computer chip was called an eight eighty eighty six. So they weren't very advanced. They were just getting microprocessor technology and it took decades before all this stuff really got into all of the industrial equipment, uh, where it needs needs to be. So now, uh, you know, fast forward to, to uh, this decade, you know, 20, 2010 to 2019, uh, there's been tremendous advancements in the uh, microprocessor and electronics. And, and uh, for gas nitriding, we need to measure hydrogen. And we need to measure hydrogen because it's a way for us to estimate nitriding potential. Today, that's very reliable 
and you can do it in situ, which means you can do it right in the furnace, and you can get very accurate readings, and you know where your nitriding potential is. The, the trick to gas nitriding and to doing precision gas nitriding and being able to craft the layer that you want, the layers are a combination of epsilon, uh, gamma prime, and alpha. In order to get the layer that you want, first of all, you have to uh, look at the literature, know what you're doing, but you have to have equipment that can get you there. And today's equipment, today's control systems can get you there and craft that layer that you want. And, and quite frankly, the nice thing about gas nitriding is the loading can be ugly. In other words, it doesn't have to be prim and proper like it is with ion nitriding. Uh, you can, you know, you can put a bunch of things into into a basket and then put another basket on top of that, another one on top of that. Put a lot of weight in it. Don't have to worry about the parts necessarily touching each other or the wire mesh that they're sitting on or the basket. Uh, it's going to get very well nitrided. That's not the case with ion. So it's much easier to own the equipment once you have it. Uh, obviously, the negative is uh, you're using a gas, uh, ammonia. It costs money, and uh, you have to store it and, and use it. All right, Mark. So I want to cover two more major areas. The first one is new technologies in this field, and the second is a brief conversation of the major players. What can you tell us about the new and or interesting technologies in this field? Some interesting technologies uh, as far as, I mean, I can talk mainly, uh, I, there's a couple of things. Uh, again, the paper that I, I, I just did is very extensive, but let's go back uh, back up a little bit to plasma nitriding. Uh, they've been able to do a few things there. Uh, mainly, they've been able to get better power supplies, uh, pulse plasma, and they also obviously have gone to hot wall heating. That means they don't have to heat with the plasma anymore. And on the power supplies, they always had problems with arcing and a, and a chance to burn some holes in it or, or, or pit some surfaces if you didn't have the right power. And again, the microprocessor controls that I talked about before have gotten so good that they now have uh, you know, DC pulse plasma that are very fast acting and, and can sense uh, any problems within the process, and you can control it very closely. Uh, I think most people in the in the plasma arena have have uh, uh, found that technology and are using it. Uh, gas is a little bit different. There's a lot of things going on in gas. Uh, many many years ago, there was a uh, a process of uh, controlling nitriding potential only by diluting with with uh, uh, nitrogen, uh, and that was uh, uh, done by one of our competitors. Uh, we do uh, we we have a process called zero flow, where we don't use nitrogen. Uh, other people uh, will dilute with with dissociated ammonia. The problem with that is you have to buy an ammonia dissociator in order to introduce dissociated ammonia. Uh, the reason you introduce dissociated ammonia instead of nitrogen is you're able to much better uh, uh, calculate and measure nitriding potential. With, with, a, with a nitrogen dilution, the calculations are different. They're much more complex, and you need a lot of experience to get similar or the same results as you would get with uh, either with our zero-flow process or with uh, associated uh, dissociated ammonia. Uh, dilution. There's some other neat stuff going on out there that that I've gotten involved in and that we're trying to get uh, moving at our, our company, and there's a lot of stuff out in the literature. Uh, it's called oxynitriding. Uh, it's, I've, I've heard it used both for post-oxidation and 
for uh, a part of the nitriding process. Uh, oxynitriding to me is not post-oxidation. Oxynitriding is, is the injection of uh, some sort of oxygen source uh, early in the nitriding process with ammonia so that you can do some things to the surface of the steels. Typically what you're trying to do, let's say with a stainless, a 300 series stainless, you're trying to break apart uh, oxygen bonds. Okay, so, uh, and, and that is uh, pretty well proven in the literature that you can do that, and it's a pretty neat way. Uh, that's uh, probably a little cleaner way of doing it than what other people do for those stainlesses, and which we also do is putting some sort of a, a chloride in there to break the bond so that you can nitride some of those more difficult um, stainless steels. Um, the other thing that people are doing, and, and they're doing it differently, and uh, I, I did a lot of work in this area, is post-oxidation. Uh, it gives it that black color. Uh, you can do that with water, or you can do it with nitrous oxide, which is laughing gas. Um, and there are different temperatures you can do it at and different uh, depths of, of it. And, and they, they, we talked before about uh, the effect of having a white layer, a compound zone, uh, and then that helps with corrosion resistance. But we've also found out that putting a post-oxide on it not only gives it a nice color, being you know a darker, uh, near black color, but it also helps with the corrosion resistance. And then on top of that, you can develop a layer that has a certain amount of porosity, and you can impregnate that with oils, and that will give it even more corrosion resistance. And in an industry where this is very common is if you look at uh, hydraulic cylinders, and you look at uh, you know your typical front end loader and your your uh, all your agriculture equipment, everything has all the cylinders, uh, your snow plows. They're usually chromed, uh, but a, a lot of manufacturers are finding that a uh, a black veritic nitrocarburized surface with post oxidation, and then they're using oils in the cylinders anyway. Uh, will give you better wear properties than the chrome and will give you very nice uh, corrosion resistance properties. So, uh, and, and, and I think it's probably a little less expensive. So a lot of people are moving to that. So if you see cylinders with black instead of chrome, that's what's happening. Interesting stuff, no doubt. So let's move on to major players in the industry. First, who are the major players that are actually doing the nitriding? Well, I, I I probably can't list them all, but as yeah, as you mentioned, I used to work for Advanced Heat Treat. They're a very large uh, commercial uh, nitrider uh, in the Midwest, and uh, they get work from all over the country. Uh, obviously, another big heat treater out there, uh, Body Coat. You know, by definition, they they do quite a bit of nitriding. Uh, actually, um, this company is, makes uh, competing furnaces against us, Nitrex, but they're actually a very big. Uh, uh, nitriding house out there, and they're probably much bigger in the nitriding uh, than they are in the equipment business. So uh, they are very well versed on on doing the nitriding. Um, there's another company that in, in Indiana that's been growing pretty uh, great, and it's called Advanced Nitriding. I think Solutions ANS. Uh, there's Ionic. Uh, I think it's I Ionic. I remember their name in South Carolina. They do quite a bit of nitriding, and that would also be ion 
and gas. And what we're seeing a lot more of is that people that really are nitriding, uh, it's the same one when I was in advanced heat treat, they're doing gas nitriding and they're doing ion nitriding. Uh, you know, they understand that nitriding is a great uh, process and they're trying to offer that to everybody. Uh, so there's, uh, now the other thing is a lot of heat treat shops do just verdict nitrocarburizing. Uh, which I call the poor, which I call the poor man's nitriding, right? <laughs> so it's uh, you know you can it's it's hard to screw up veridic nitrocarburizing. So uh, you know you get enough ammonia in there and you put some carbon in there, you're going to get some sort of a layer. And how about the nitriding equipment suppliers? Yeah, there's uh, there's a number of ones here. We're not uh, we're not going to be commercial in in the in the uh, and as a matter of fact, I put a picture of uh, uh, one of the companies uh, for the plasma. There's Ion Heat, uh, and uh, I know those guys pretty well. A nice little company. Uh, got some new technology. There's Rubig, which is the big company. Uh, I'm sure there's other ones out there, but those are the main uh, main ones I think right now playing in the in, in the U.S. market for plasma nitriding. Uh, Rubig also I know has gotten into gas nitriding, so they do offer some uh, designs there. I think what they do is mostly pit nitriders. So I kind of break the gas nitriders into guys doing front loading which looks more like a regular batch furnace versus pit. And, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with pit furnaces. Uh, both furnaces, front loading or pit, work very much the same. They got a fan, they got a retort typically, and um, uh, they try to keep the parts uniform and they put the gases in. The, the thing with the pit is you got to have a pit. Uh, the nice thing with a pit is you can usually load it heavier. So uh, for people that really want to have high production, uh, like when I was at, uh, at the commercial heat treater where I was at, they, they liked the pit design because you could load them up a lot heavier. Uh, guys doing more precision nitriding typically want the front load. Um, it's more like a vacuum furnace uh, or, or, or a batch furnace uh, within the building, etc. You don't have to dig pits. So um, uh, companies out there, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, Nitrex is one of the companies. They're a big competitor of ours. Uh, Long ago, we actually used to build their equipment, so our equipment looks very similar to theirs because um, we designed it. <laughs> Seco Warwick, as I mentioned, makes a zero flow. Lindbergh makes a pit design. I'm not aware of anything other than the pit design. I think they have uh, not gone too much into the advanced controls. They do a lot of single-stage uh, nitriding. Uh, other companies out there like ALD have come out with a front load. Uh, there's K- KGO's got a front load. Uh, and there's a lot of new entrants in the market. It's uh, uh, it's it's getting kind of uh, getting kind of crowded out there. A lot of people with not a lot of experience, but uh, I guess they have a hammer, uh, uh, a welding wire, and some duct tape, and they're making furnaces. Hey, podcast listeners, you can hardly blame Mark for that answer. It really wasn't a very fair question to ask him to list all of his competitors, but he did a pretty good job. But since a good solid list of suppliers might really be helpful to you, we're going to do two things. First, I'm going to briefly round out the list here and now. I'm sure I won't get everyone, but we do know for sure that companies like Surface Combustion, Gasberry, and Tenova are also making nitriding furnaces. And since I'm sure there are others, we'll provide a more complete list of nitriding furnace manufacturers in the transcript of this episode. You can find that transcript 
by Googling Heat Treat Radio Mark Hemsath. We'll keep an updated list of manufacturers listed there. Now, let's wrap up our conversation with Mark. Final question, Mark. If someone wants to learn more about nitriding, what resources would you recommend? There's a lot of good resources online, and there's a couple. There's there's a few people in the industry that are extremely well versed, and they like to talk about it. Uh, I'm not one of them, but uh, <laughs> I'm too busy. But uh, you know, uh, I a good good friend and associate Dan Herring. He's called the Heat Treat Doctor. He knows all about heat treating more than I'll ever know about heat treating. Right. Uh, there's also my friend who uh, was is, is is still at Advanced Heat Treat, uh, who's very well published, and you can look for his papers. Rolinsky, Edward Rolinsky, um, and there's other guys. Uh, the Zero Flow uh, developer, and he's also fairly well published, is uh, uh, Malzinski, uh, Leszek Malzinski. And uh, then there's a couple of guys that have been working in nitriding their whole lives, and they they're prolific. Uh, 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 writers, and that would be uh, Summers and uh, Mittemeyer. And there's actually a, a beautiful book out that they put out in 2014 called uh, Surface Engineering. Uh, I'm, I'm going to grab the book right now, Thermochemical Surface Engineering of Steels by Mittemeyer and Summers. And, and that's actually got articles in there by Maldzinski, by Rolinsky, uh, some of the people that I mentioned. But it, it also talks carburizing, uh, Friedrich nitrocarburizing, talks plasma, talks gas, uh, just a really great resource out there. Uh, it costs a few dollars, but you can get it also electronically. And uh, it's highly technical. Uh, you know, you can go to some of the magazines out there, you know, I'm sure you've published some stuff, uh, industrial heating it, it continually does, uh, you know, some, uh, uh, small, uh, articles on it. Uh, the, the gear gear guys out there, uh, publish some articles, uh, but there's, there's a lot of stuff out there and you can find most of it on the internet. Mark, thanks a lot for taking time to talk. Doug, thanks for inviting me. I really enjoyed it and have a nice day. We'll list some of these nitriding resources that Mark mentioned in the transcript of this podcast, including the book that Mark just mentioned. If you're looking for more nitriding content, swing over to Heat Treat Today's website, or you can simply Google nitriding heat treat, and Heat Treat Today will be the third or fourth unpaid listing to show up, and it will be the first heat treat publication to be listed. If you'd like to get in touch with Mark, email me. Doug at HeatTreatToday.com, and I'll put you in touch with Mark Hemsath. How about more Heat Treat Radio? It's easy. Consult the Google and ask for Heat Treat Radio. will be the first thing that pops up. You can also subscribe to Heat Treat Radio on iTunes or SoundCloud. As with all Heat Treat Radio episodes, this one is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in full without advanced written permission from Heat Tree Today. Jonathan Lloyd of Butler, Pennsylvania produced and mixed this podcast as he has so competently done with all previous Heat Treat radio podcasts. I'm your host, Doug Glenn. Thanks for listening. <laughs>